Well, it is wonderful to be with you today, the second Sunday of Advent. Uh, it's just over a year since I was last here with my wife Grace, and on that Sunday we were recognising Ian and Johnny as elders, and that was a special Sunday. And um, we were just talking about this last night, how quickly the memory fades, but back then, 11, uh, 12, 13 months ago, we were still in uh, kind of lockdown measures to some degree. We were still wearing face masks, or meant to be, although during the service they would look like they were generally slipping from most of the faces. We're just coming out of the point where we weren't allowed to sing. Um, so it's great to be here and it's great to be in this venue. How brilliant to have provision of this venue. Uh, over your brief history as a church, four years or so, on average, I think you've changed venue every four months. So to have this place and the prospect of actually being able to meet in this place a bit longer term is wonderful God's provision. I'm really excited about, about this, that you've got this, this space. It's what a great space to be able to meet in and, and get some roots down in this next phase of your life together, which is so crucial that you, that you are able to do that as you grow and mature as a church. Venues are really important. Okay, today, second Sunday of Advent, the theme is about peace. I actually want to talk about peace and war. Uh, the passage is going to be 2 Corinthians 10. We'll turn to that in a moment. Theme of peace. I was two weeks ago, Grace and I were down in uh, Devon with uh, the Redeemer Churches. Redeemer Church Plymouth has planted out into a little town called Tavistock and another little town called Saltash. And the three Redeemer Churches came together for a weekend. And uh, Grace and I were down taking part in that. And the theme of that weekend was about battle. And we had a prayer meeting on the Saturday night of, of that weekend and praying around the theme of battle. And as we were doing that, I was really thinking about you guys and anticipating being here with you and thinking about battle and thinking about uh, the fact that Ian had asked me to speak on the theme of peace. And, and I had this phrase came in, come into my mind which felt kind of prophetic that the peace we have isn't the peace of the cessation of war but calm confidence in the midst of ongoing conflict. Had that sentence come into my mind, and I just wrote it down as, as I was in that prayer meeting and thinking about you and praying for you. The peace we have isn't the peace of the cessation of war, but calm confidence in the midst of ongoing conflict. The, the paradox of Christianity is that Christianity is all about peace. That's what we're celebrating this time of year, celebrating the peace that Christ brings to us, but the Christian life involves continuous conflict. That's the paradox of Christianity. There's, there's never going to be a time in this life when we get to cease fighting. But we are to know God's peace in the midst of that. And there are different seasons. There are times when life feels easier and times when life feels harder. There are periods of particular pressure. There are times when things feel a bit more in a lull and a bit easier. But the Christian life it's not like a battle, the Christian life is a battle. So it's a phrase that my family have always used. My, it's a phrase my dad often said, and it's a, a kind of a meme in our family. The Christian life is not like a battle, it is a battle. As Christians, we are called to be engaged in spiritual warfare. And we see that at this time of year as we anticipate Christmas and as we celebrate Advent and all that means. We see it in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. When Christ came to earth, when Christ was incarnate as a man, there was an announcement of peace which accompanied that, but Jesus knew that he would bring conflict. So in Luke 2, the angels appear and proclaim the coming of the Saviour, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favour rests. 
The promise of the coming Messiah was a promise of peace, but then Jesus himself says, do you think I come to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. Jesus knew that his coming would mean conflict. Christians are called to live in peace, but we need to be prepared for war. Matthew 5, verse 9, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. If you're a Christian, you are called to bring peace as far as you're able to bring the peace of God into situations in which you find yourself in. But Matthew 10, Jesus says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. What we see is that Jesus knew that his ministry was going to be contentious, that he was coming to bring peace, but doing that would provoke conflict. And what we see in this is how Christmas and Easter are irrevocably connected, that we at Christmas think about the peace of the manger, but immediately our thoughts go to the conflict, the war of the cross. There's no separation between Christmas and Easter, between the message of peace and the message of war. And this sets the context for the Christian life, that when we come to know Jesus Christ, he brings us into a place of peace. We're brought into peace, into relationship with God, which then means that we can experience peace in every other area of our lives. It means that we can be at peace in ourselves with who we are because we know, understand who we are, that we are adopted as God's children. We are secure, saved by him, belonging to him. That brings peace to how we understand ourselves. That means that we can be at peace with the created world around us that rather than the kind of uh, conflict with the world as it is. We have a sense of the peace of God we carry. It means that we can bring the peace of God into contentious situations, but it also means that we are brought into a life of conflict. We're brought into a life of spiritual warfare. And so for those of us in this room who know Jesus, the thing that which we are meant to experience, our birthright is this place of peace in God, which brings peace to every aspect of our lives, but also the ongoing reality of being caught up in a spiritual conflict. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you found your way in here this morning, you're not yet a follower of Christ, the invitation to you is to come and find Christ in order to find peace. But that's also an invitation to join into a battle because the Christian life is not like a battle, it is a battle. And that's very clear in the story of what has happened amongst you over the past four years, that as Glasgow Grace was started and edged forward and went through all the terrible times of the pandemic and all the rest, and all the multiple venue changes you've had and recent financial difficulties, and now here, praise God, you have experienced conflicts because church planting is a fight, that church planting is never easy, because church planting is frontline gospel activity which is opposed by an enemy who doesn't want churches to be started and to flourish. You're engaged in a fight. So let's read this passage from 2 Corinthians 10, verses 1 to 5. It's the Apostle Paul writing to his friends in the church in Corinth, and he says to them, By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold towards you when away. I beg you that when I come, I, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought 
to make it obedient to Christ. We see this paradox of the Christian life in this passage. The basis of Paul's ministry is the humility and gentleness of Christ. The humility and gentleness of Christ, this place of peacefulness. And yet the Apostle Paul knows that he has been engaged in a war because his aim is to demolish strongholds. This is this paradox of, of Christianity. We come from the place of peace, the gentleness and humility of Christ. But to do what? To engage in war, to demolish strongholds. The context of this letter is that there has been some significant tensions and conflict between Paul and the church in Corinth. This is a church which he had started some years previously, and um, it's a church which has experienced all kinds of issues, all kinds of difficulties, and the relationship between the church and the apostle at this point had been very, very strained. And if you read through 2 Corinthians, it's really the, the rawest and the most emotional of the Apostle Paul's letters. Uh, perhaps Galatians is similarly emotional, but this is a particularly emotional letter because Paul loves this church and the fact that they are experience some estrangement, a lack of peace in their relationship is something which is causing him real pain. He's very distressed about relationship with them, how it is, and he wants it to be set right. And so we get here to chapter 10 and he appeals to them. He appeals to them. And, and the appeal that Paul is making to the Corinthians is that they would get a clearer view of how things really are. They get a, a clearer picture of what life is really like, of, of what is really going on, of, of why things have become as difficult between him and them as they have. The, the presenting issue is that there is this conflict between him and them for all kinds of different reasons. But the real issue, the underlying issue for that, is that there is a spiritual fight happening. There's a, there's a war taking place. And, and, and they need to understand that. They're not, they're not seeing what's really going on. They're just looking at the surface level. They're not seeing what's really happening to them. Uh, earlier in the letter, in chapter 5, Paul says that we're to walk by faith, not by sight. And the problem is that the Corinthians are just looking at things in kind of worldly appearances rather than seeing what's really happening, not being alert to what's really going on. And so he says to them here that the he doesn't do things by the standards of this world. The, the, the fight that Christians are engaged in is, is a spiritual battle, not a fleshly one. And so his appeal to the church in Corinth is, stop, stop thinking about things in, in worldly fleshly ways. Open your spiritual eyes. See what's really going on. See the conflict in which you are engaged and respond appropriately to, to that. And we need to see this as well because we can blunder through life just looking at the world with fleshly, worldly eyes and miss the realities, the greatest spiritual realities that are taking place. The peace that is ours in Christ and the conflict we're brought into because we are in a spiritual battle. So let's think about this firstly, the fight that we're in. If you're going to get into a fight, it's good to know what kind of fight you're getting into. Um, last night, Tyson Fury defeated uh, Derek Chisholm in a heavyweight boxing match. As a boxing match, in a boxing match, you punch people. That's all you're allowed to do. If you turned up and you thought you were going to be in a boxing match, but actually it was a Thai boxing match, you'd be in trouble because in Thai boxing, you punch people, but you also kick people, and you can knee people, and you can elbow people. If you turned up for a Thai boxing match, but it was actually Lethway, Burmese boxing, well, in Lethway, you can punch people, and kick people, and knee people, and elbow people, and give people a Glasgow kiss. 
So you need to know what kind of fight you're turning up to. If you think it's a boxing match, and then you get smacked in the nose by a headbutt, that's a whole different deal. So what kind of fight are we engaged in? And this can be difficult for us to think about because just looking at this room, I don't think there are too many scrappers in this room. This doesn't look a particularly violent room, which it shouldn't be because we're mostly Christians and so we're people of peace, blessed are the peacemakers. Most of us, I haven't had a fight, well, for decades. We don't, it just doesn't happen, does it? Uh, Ian and I were in Belfast a few weeks back with a gathering of um, church leaders and there's a guy there who'd recently come to faith, who'd grown up in a very sectarian area in Belfast, and he, he was saying that just how much he loved the scrap, that he had friends actually on both sides of the sectarian divide, but he's always getting to fights because he just loved to fight. He didn't really care about the politics, just like fighting. And uh, it was funny, he said, since, since coming to know Jesus in the last year, he's only had one fight. Like, wow, only one fight since coming to know Jesus, praise God. Uh, but most of us aren't like that. So even this kind of talk about spiritual battle can be difficult for us, but we need to be real about this. We are in a war. The Christian life is not like a battle, it is a battle. And as we read our Bibles, think about how many heroes of the Old Testament were warriors. That's a description of them. Abraham, Moses, Joshua, Samson, David, they were all men who knew what it was to fight. And actually that can be very troubling for us as we read the Old Testament, and there's a lot we could say about that in terms of the violence of the Old Testament. But this is an example to us. These Old Testament saints were prepared for war. They were ready for a fight. And this kind of theme, this kind of language, isn't very fashionable in the church today. We're very conscious today about mistakes of the past. We're very conscious of the mistakes of empire and the crusades and the rest and we can be very nervous about this kind of talk of of warfare and we don't sing like I used to in school assemblies when I was a child onward Christian soldiers anymore that those kind of songs don't feature in our worship diet but this nervousness about recognizing the fight that we're in and talking about it in this way can actually be something of an enemy tactic it can be a tactic of the enemy to lull us into believing there's some kind of spiritual truce which has now been drawn up. And there isn't. There really is an enemy. But we have an enemy who would try to lull us into thinking there isn't really an enemy, that the stuff that happens in life is just circumstances, that there's no deeper spiritual things going on. In the classic movie, The Usual Suspects, says the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. In uh, the Screw Tape Letters, C.S. Lewis's uh, great little book, if you haven't read it, you should, he, he wrote it in the, in the Second World War, a little book imagining a senior devil advising a younger devil about how to handle his patient, the, the person he's trying to lead away from God. Uh, I read it the other week when we were in Belfast, because Lewis was born in Belfast, so it seemed appropriate. And one of the things, one of the parts of devilish advice given in this letter is this. I do not think you will have much difficulty in keeping the patient in the dark. The fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination will help you. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights and persuade him he cannot believe in that and that he therefore cannot believe in you. 
It's a tactic of the enemy to make us think that there isn't really an enemy when there is. It's a military tactic of distraction and diversion. But there is a real enemy and we are in a real fight. Think about what the Apostle Paul said to his friend Timothy, the beginning of his first letter to Timothy. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them you may fight the battle well. And at the end of that letter he says to Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith. There is a fight which Timothy and the Corinthians and Glasgow Grace Church All of us are to be engaged in. Think what it says in Ephesians 6. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our struggle, there is a struggle. We are in a struggle. We are in a fight. We are in a battle. We do have opposition. We have an enemy. And that enemy didn't want the church in Corinth to flourish. There was an enemy who didn't want that church to be established and to do well. There was an enemy who wanted that church to be distracted by infighting and to be compromised by sin. We see the Apostle Paul dealing with this in the two letters we have, which he wrote to them, trying to help them to open their spiritual eyes and see what's really going on, that the 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 distractions of infighting, a lack of peace in the church, was actually an enemy tactic to undermine the church as a whole. Corinth was a great prize. It was worth fighting for. The city of Corinth was known at the time for its strategic value. It occupied a very strategically important place in the Roman Empire. It was a very commercially important place, culturally important place. It was a prize worth fighting over, and it was spiritually strategic as well that this church should either flourish or die, or the impact of that it would have. Now we have the same enemy, and he doesn't want the church in Glasgow to flourish either. And he doesn't want Glasgow Grace to live. He doesn't want this church to do well. We have an enemy who would want this church to be lulled, first of all, into thinking actually there isn't any conflict, there is no spiritual war, We've got an enemy who'd want you to be distracted or compromised or just pacified by life. We have an enemy who uses all kinds of tactics, tactics which are subtle, often usually not in your face, but just keep us distracted, keep us busy, keep us thinking about other things, not thinking about Jesus, not thinking about the gospel, not having our spiritual eyes open, not living by faith but walking by normal human sight. So we have an enemy who distracts us, and that can take all kinds of forms, all kinds of things which come to us. It can come just from the busyness of life, of the workplace. It can come from financial anxieties. It can come because you're spending hours watching porn every week, or it can come because you're spending hours watching Stranger Things every week and just kind of getting satisfied, pacified by the stuff of the world. We have an enemy who'd want to distract us pacify us, cause us to be compromised. And if you're a Christian, you've got to see yourself as an enlisted soldier. You've got to prepare for war because you are in a war. We're called to peace, but we're also called to constant conflict. We need to recognise the fight that we're in. The second thing then is that we need to think about the weapons that we have 
Paul says here that the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. They're not the weapons of the world. So what weapons do we have? If you're going to get into a fight, you want to be properly tooled up. Now, in chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians, Paul describes what these weapons are. He talks about weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. As a Christian, you possess weapons of righteousness. And the verses surrounding that description put some meat on the bones in terms of what those weapons look like. As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance and troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. These weapons of righteousness that we hold in right hand and left hand are these ways of living which are like living like Christ. Living in a self-giving, sacrificial way. Living dependent upon God, not on our own strength. Living with unyielding integrity and pursuing Christ over the prizes offered by this earth. Weapons of righteousness in the right hand, in the left. And the thing about these weapons is that in the eyes of the world, often this looks like weakness. It looks like weakness. It looks like hardships and distresses. It looks like hard work and sleepless nights. It looks like being sorrowful yet always rejoicing. It looks like being poor yet making many rich. The weapons we hold often look like weakness because Christ's power is only present with weakness. And we do have power. Paul says here in 2 Corinthians 10, we have power to demolish strongholds. We are given Holy Spirit power. Weapons in the right hand and in the left hand. Yesterday afternoon we were wandering around the barrel uh, exhibition, barrel collection for a while and uh, I was looking at the old uh, swords uh, and, and the descriptions there, the huge great big claymores and then the small dirks and it was talking about how effective the, the Highland clansmen were with the big sword and the small dirk and how terrifying it was. We have spiritually, not the weapons of the world, we have spiritually weapons in the right hand and the left hand which are able to demolish strongholds. Weapons which, in the eyes of the world, look like weakness, but through which the power of God and his strength can work. Our weapons are very different. The most powerful, stronghold-demolishing weapon any army has at the moment is the GBU-57A-B Massive Ordnance Penetrator, the MOP for short. It's a precision-guided 30,000-pound bunker-buster bomb used by the US Air Force that can penetrate 200 feet through the earth to destroy bunkers. So, very impressive, very terrifying, very expensive weapon. Now, what we have looks nothing like that. But what we have, Scripture tells us, is divine power to demolish strongholds. We don't need a bunker buster bomb and millions of dollars we hold in our hands weapons of righteousness by which we are able to demolish 
spiritual bunkers. We hold the power to blow bunkers of disbelief with our weapons of righteousness. We need to see this, we need to see the power of what we have. As we look at the world around us, as we look at Glasgow, as we see the incredible secularity of our society, as we're aware, conscious of how small in number we seem in comparison with the population at large, as we can think about the, the, what seems to be just general indifference to things of faith in our world at this time. As, as, as you talk to people who don't know Christ, it's not even that people aren't, or sometimes it's not even they're indifferent towards church and, and Jesus. It's, they nev- never even crosses their minds. And there could be times when I look at that, the reality of how indifferent, blind to Jesus Christ our world can seem, and can sometimes feel a bit of despair about that, can feel our sense of, the sense of our weakness, can think it feels like we are very much on the losing side at the moment. That's, that's the reality of how it can feel looking at things with, with earthly eyes. But yet, Scripture says, we have weapons of righteousness in right hand and left which can destroy, demolish strongholds. It can be true here in Glasgow. And, and, and we know it's true because we, most of us in this room, have been on the receiving end of that ourselves. Why is it that if you believe, why do you believe? Why are you here? It's because God in his grace caused spiritual strongholds to be demolished so that your eyes might be opened and you might come in faith to Jesus and receive peace and life from him. We've been on the re- receiving end of this ourselves and so we can have confidence that through us other spiritual strongholds can be demolished. That's our hope the strongholds of complete indifference to, to faith, to Christ. We have weapons which can smash those strongholds, those, those bunkers of de- disbelief. We believe God has worked in us. God has, in us, destroyed the pretensions that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. We look at our world, we look at secular Scotland, secular Glasgow, and see just the pile of pile of pretension that has been set up against the knowledge of God. And yet, in Christ, with weapons of righteousness in right hand and left, we have power to destroy strongholds and, and destroy pretensions which have been set up against the knowledge of God. We need to recognise these weapons that we hold. And then lastly, we need to see what it is we're fighting for. War is very costly. It costs blood and treasure and needs a clear objective. Otherwise, why would you pay the cost? Part of our cultural narrative is that as we look back over the last century, we think about wars which we think generally were not worth fighting, were not worth the blood and the treasure. Think back to what's so defining for us culturally a century and a so ago, the First World War. There's few people who would say that was worth fighting, that those millions of lives were worth spending. Maybe we feel a bit different about the Second World War. That's maybe the one war we're taught in school was a good war, with a clear evil that was overcome. But what other wars would we say, yes, that was a war that was really worth it? Look at more recent wars, Iraq, Afghanistan. Was it worth it, the blood and treasure spent? We probably have very mixed feelings about these things. If you're going to engage in war, you need to be confident that you're fighting for something that's worth fighting for, that the blood and treasure you spend is worth the spending. And we need to see, as Christians, that the cost of our warfare is absolutely worth paying. Because in the end, what we're aiming for, what this warfare about, 
is that we would come into complete obedience to Christ Jesus. That's what he says in verse 5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedience to Christ. The objective is that we conform to Christ completely, even in every thought. And that's a real fight, that even every thought we have would conform to Christ, to be obedient to him. The reality is that if you're a Christian, you are in a fight. And that means that we need to pick up the right weapons and demolish some strongholds. Being obedient to Christ, even in every thought. This is contested ground. We can look at the world around us and we can see the contested ground, but actually the contested ground starts in our own heads. There's a battle going on for our thoughts, the things we believe, which then shape what we say and the things that we do. There's a fight going on for for your mind. And Scripture says here that we need to come to full obedience even in every thought, every thought being conformed to Christ Jesus. That's a fight. That's a battle. But it's a battle that's worth engaging in because obedience to Christ is the great prize. To be like Christ, to know Christ, to to witness to Christ in our world. That is worth something spending all your blood and treasure on. There's contested ground that we need to fight for. As we look at our world, we see ground which needs to be taken. We do see a society which is so indifferent to the things of God. We've got to engage in a spiritual fight. We want to see men and women coming to know Christ. There's There's a fight in all kinds of practical things. You've had a bit of a fight recently over money. That's often a fight. Money isn't just neutral. Money is a spiritual issue. There's a spiritual fight, not just a practical thing. For churches in this, to have sufficient funds to be able to do the mission that they've been called to. That's a spiritual fight. It's not simply a case of working out whether you can afford to put a bit more in the offering. There's a spiritual conflict going on here. Will every thought be conformed to Christ, even how you think about your money and possessions? There's a spiritual conflict which goes on for purity. We live in a culture which is just swims in a sea of filth constantly, and it's so constant often we don't even spot it anymore, but we live in a culture which is so corrupt morally. And as a fight for us as Christians to live in a way which is genuinely pure, which conforms even our thoughts to those of Christ Jesus, which are Christ-like. We need to fight for genuine spiritual vitality, not just going through the motions, but church life and our personal life in Christ, which is real alive, where we know genuine communion with Christ through the Holy Spirit, where as we gather there is a sense of God's power and activity amongst us, and where we are living in a way which reflects God at work in us. And we need to fight for mission, because we have an enemy who would say to us, don't bother, give up, it's not worth it, just hide away. We need to contest. Think about this church in Corinth. We think about our context now, think about how hard it can seem to grow healthy church life in a place like Glasgow, to call people to follow Christ in a place like this. But think about Corinth in the first century. There'd never been any Christian witness in Corinth. There had been no Christians until Paul turned up and started to speak to people. And in that city, which wasn't just secular, but which had absolutely no knowledge of the living God, in that city a church was born a church which did experience all kinds of conflicts because there's an enemy who didn't want it to survive, but a church was born which did in the end 
and still today speaks to the world, speaks to us. So why not in Glasgow as well? God did it in Corinth, God can do it here. And the war that we're engaged in isn't just, it isn't just offensive, we are engaged in offensive territory-taking conflict. At the end of this chapter, end of chapter 10, it says, Paul says, our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. This was the Apostle Paul's hope. He wanted this church in Corinth to sort their act out, to open their spiritual eyes, to see the conflict they were really in, to pick up weapons of righteousness in right hand and left hand and demolish some strongholds. He wanted that for them, but it wasn't just for them. It wasn't even just for their city, but it was for the world beyond their city, that out of that church, mission would spread to other cities and towns and nations of the earth. And Glasgow Grace Church, you need to have something of that gospel ambition as well. That our prayer should be not just that this church knows some blessing. Not just that in 12 months' time there'd be a few more people in these seats and you'd be more firmly established than you now are, though we do pray for that. But that out of this church there might be mission to regions beyond. That because of what God does here amongst you, there will be other churches which get started in other towns and cities in this nation and around the world. One of, one of my greatest joys of the last five years of ministry is that this church exists, that Ian and Lindsay were with us and Paul and are now here, and this church exists as a consequence. There's a, a real joy for us down on the south coast of England because you are here and we fill our part with that. But it is four or five years now since that was initially birthed and since these guys moved up here and this church started. And we don't just want to sit on our laurels, we feel the challenge of that where we are now, that we need to be looking to bless regions beyond again. We need to be involved in more church plants, in more new places. And that needs to be true for you as well. That you're engaged in a spiritual fight which needs to see territory taken here in Glasgow and in regions beyond. That you might speak the message of life and peace in Christ to many. That's the war that we're in, looking for our sphere of activity to expand. The peace we have isn't the peace of the cessation of war, but calm confidence in the midst of ongoing conflict. My prayer for you would be that you would, this Advent season, you would know the peace of Christ. But it would be a peace that you experience in the midst of the reality of the war that you're in that your spiritual eyes would be open to see the fight to which you've been called. Your spiritual eyes would be open to know, recognise the weapons that have been placed in your hands and the power that you have in Christ, a power which can break down the pretensions that set themselves up against God, the power that can demolish strongholds, the power that can see the lives of men and women changed, the power that can see churches birthed and established and growing healthily, the power that can see new churches started in different regions and cities and towns. That's what we need to know. That's a prophetic hope and confidence that we need to have. That's what needs to burn in our hearts don't be distracted. Don't, 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 don't be lulled into thinking there's no fight. Don't just go through the motion spiritually. Don't just turn up on a Sunday, sing a few songs, listen to a word, take communion and go home and carry on as if nothing has happened. Have our spiritual eyes opened to see the battle we're engaged in. 
the prize we're pursuing, what it means to be conformed to Christ, to know him, to follow him, to obey him, to love him, to know his working in our lives, to live in the goodness, the reality of his peace flowing through us. What we have in Christ is so precious, so beautiful. The prize to be pursued above anything else. Let's not lose sight of that. Let's proclaim the peace of Christ, even as we fight the good fight and seek to demolish strongholds by the power he's given us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.